You are now listening to the Purpose Edits Podcast. You gotta be willing to be vulnerable. You have to have the ability to self-assess, and not everybody has the ability to self-assess. You don't necessarily have to like sweets to be successful in school. You just have to know how to play the game and finesse it and get through it. Welcome to the Perfect Status Podcast. This is a short yet powerful conversation designed to help you do three things that can ultimately change the trajectory of your life. One, discover your purpose. Two, walk in your purpose. And three, ultimately fulfill your purpose. I am your host, Coach Vic, and I'm joined as always by my lifelong friend, my brother, the educator, Dr. Shane Calhoun. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode. My homeboy, Shane, how you doing today, baby? Doing good. It was probably wasn't smart to take a swig of juice right before the intro. <laughs> yeah, that probably wasn't smart, man. But again, I'm the responsible one, right? There you go. There you yeah, go. Yeah. So you know what? We're used to it. Uh, the bad part is you're doing it in front of company. Uh, we got another <laughs> great episode uh, for you because we got a special guest joining us again. You know, everybody's always focused on uh, financial wealth, uh, financial freedom. And we got the opportunity today to talk to a good friend of mine, a, a former co-worker. Uh, one of the things that he's always uh, touted as being proud of is he's a devoted husband. Um, and that's important. Uh, and as he shares his story, he'll jump into uh, how that plays a role into managing money. Please give a big round of applause to Mr. Casey Kraft. Welcome to the show, hey, brother. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Need to make sure to play back that intro so my wife knows just how devoted I am. Thank you. <laughs> hey, just make sure you uh, put the money in my uh, PayPal first. Uh, <laughs> you know, we can even up. That's how good. you doing today? You all right? I'm good, man. I'm good. Life's good. Weird times right now, but it's all good. Happy, healthy, and safe. That's all you can ask yeah. for these days. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. all that matters. So we're definitely going to jump into your journey. I'm really excited uh, and curious to hear about your career path. Uh, as you know, the premise of the show is to help people discover their purpose and possibly even introduce them to a path and information that they might not have been aware of. But before we do, we got to get in. What blew your mind, Shane? Talk to us. All right. So um, I believe uh, what blew my mind, and it's more, more or less this week, like uh, just something that I've been pontificating on, thinking about. and. I'm not offending anybody when I say this intentionally. Um, If you know me, you know my heart. But I think a lot of people, when you hear motivational speeches or even like when you read the Bible, it it comes across as just words as opposed to things that we're supposed to intake and build off of. Like it just becomes like, you know, just like everybody listens to E.T., E.T. Is, is the motivational speaker, but it's like it's almost cool to say until you want it as hard as until you want it as more than you want to breathe. Yeah. yeah. What, what, what is it, Vic? When you want uh, to be successful as bad as you want to breathe. Yeah. That's when you'll be successful. That's when you'll be successful. But there's no action behind it. We go to church every Sunday, we read the Bible, and it's just almost like a fictional story at times because we know all this thing. You can you can quote Bible back and forth. You can do this, you can do that. But it's not reflected in your everyday life and what you do, who you are. And I just, 
in a place, you know, where I'm like, I'm just trying to root all those things out personally and try to be everything I say about, like, I can't come on here and ramble about being, working hard and being successful if I'm not out here doing it myself. And, mm-hmm. and I'm just, you know, just in a place where I'm just looking around me and just wanting to encourage people that, you know, whatever it is that you believe in, whatever it is that you stand for, man, you got to stand 10 toes down on it and live that thing every day. Yeah. Stay down till you come up. Uh, but more than anything, uh, walk the talk, you know, yeah. I, I, I guess. Yeah, man, that, that does hit home. You know, a lot of people have different intentions um, as to why they uh, broadcast to other people about the things they're doing. Um, and a lot of times you find that people who talk about, hey, this is what I'm doing, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, a lot of times it's them trying to either convince themselves they're, yeah. they're going to do it or they're doing it for the wrong reason. They want people to notice and acknowledge them and they need attention and that's, that's the wrong way to be, man. Just be, be, about, be about your action and do it in silence. Uh, who was that that said killers move in silence? Killers move in silence, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you don't know the real beast till they show their teeth. You know what I mean? Right, right. <laughs> so that's that's you know that that's just that is just just a lot of reflecting. And I think we hit on it last week. One of the things I like most about this the podcast is like as we're doing the podcast, we're in real time working through it and like hitting this stuff, you know, spot on. Like you know, like not hitting it as in in our personal life and really just going after the things that um we talk about so yeah man just whatever it is i tell my kids all the time that you know if you was to come in my band room today and tell me that you wanted to be a pooper scooper at the circus that's cool just go and be the best pooper scooper there is yeah you 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 being that whoops whoops, study the technique study the technique figure it out whatever it is you just be the best at be be the best at it you know so yeah that's that you know, and as you talk about in real time, when, you know, we get a chance to talk with guests like Casey, you know, in real time, you and I talk about creating financial freedom. Um, and that was a big motivation as to why I asked Casey to be on the show. Uh, Casey, you are someone who's in the profession. You you study your craft. Uh, no pun intended that your last name is craft, but you you study your craft, right? And and I have heard you talk to others and groups about creating wealth and financial freedom. Um, and Shane and I are on that current path trying to do that, you know, for ourselves. And so I, I definitely want to pick your brain. We want to pick your brain, but let's start, let's start here. Talk to us about your journey in becoming a financial advisor and who you are as an individual. Sure. Uh, so I guess my journey starts before my wife and I got married. We got married almost five years ago or yeah, almost five years ago next month. And, um, about two months before we got married, we bought a house together and right. Cause that's what you got to do. You get married, you got to get a house, right? Like everyone's doing it. And so <laughs> we bought a house two months beforehand and no joke one month before we got married. Right. So I've been in the house for a month. Chris was still living with her parents. We have this back room and it's got this flat rolled roofing on it. And uh, I didn't, you know, think anything of it, but this house got passed from, from inspection. And lo and behold, a month later, we had some pretty, pretty big rainstorms and water just sat on top of this, this flat roof and just sat and just sat. 
And after a couple of days, it started to drip through the top of the ceiling and the whole thing like caved in, flooded in, and it was terrible. Like we had to completely, uh, you know, destroy it, you know, uh, rebuild it. And in the midst of that, we also had to replace an air conditioner. We had to get new ductwork. We just had so many things that we ended up having to pay for that were a surprise. Welcome you know, to just, being a homeowner. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> we just moved in and we got 30 grand worth of renovations that we got to fix. And, you know, we don't have 30 grand cash sitting aside. So we got to take out loans to pay for it. And so about a year goes by in our marriage, we get the thing fixed. But, you know, at the end of the month, we're always checking our, our bank account. and We got, you know, like a couple of hundred bucks left, hundred bucks left. And we're like, dang, where is all our money going? Like we make, you know, decent money. Like we should have more than a hundred bucks <laughs> left at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, then it kind of occurred to us, oh, like, you know, all these payments we have, like we've got the home re- remodels um, and we were just normal, right? So we had car loans, we had student loans, we had credit cards, just your normal things that, you know, our society just has. And um, you guys were living in excess at all. Say it again. I said you didn't feel like you guys were living in excess. You just. Oh, no, not at all. Like we were just getting by and like typical marriage. Right. So, you know, how much do you spend at Publix? You know, what'd you what'd you buy at Home Depot? Like anytime one of us bought something. Right. It was like you had to you had to answer to the other person, you know, and like defend your purchase. And uh, I bought so, tape. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a Tootsie Roll. Chill. Um, and so we got on board with this program called Financial Peace University. It's it was a Dave course. Ramsey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, okay. designed by Dave Ramsey. And so we actually. I hate it. it. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I I did it. I've been through the course, and I, t- if I'm saying I hate it, it's a little bit too strong. Um, let, let me defer to you and, and hear and let you explain it because I would rather people get a positive spin before they get my negative spin. All right. Well, I definitely want to hear your negative spin, but okay. for us to just, um, it was, I think what most people want more than anything with their finances is just knowledge and a plan, right? Like that's what we do when we want to get in shape, you know, like we figure out what it is we need to eat and how often we need to do cardio or or work out. And when you put that formula together, you know, eventually you're going to have the body that you want. You're going to have the health that you want. And I just, I don't think our society has that with money. I mean, Vic, mm-hmm. Shane, did you guys learn anything about money in school? No, Whether I've learned grade school or college. No, I've learned probably more about money in the last month, just by my own individual reading than I have in my prior 35 years of learning. Yeah. And I think, you know, you're definitely normal. Like that, that's just normal in America today. It's normal to not know anything about personal finance. Like, thank you for teaching me, you know, geometry. Um, I used it once, but, uh, (laughs) like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that should be a pillar of education in this country. What are the things that are pertinent to know, like, what are the important things that you believe foundational things that everybody should know about money? Yeah. Well, you know, number one is everybody needs to be intentional with money, right? You know, so 
there's a saying um, that you want to see your money through the windshield and not through the back mirror. Like you don't want to know where your money went. Like you want to have a plan for your money, you know, where, where it's going. And yeah, so um, if you don't know, you know, what Dave Rames is all about, he wants people to pay off their debt like as quickly as possible. And so that was, that was our goal as a, as a married couple was let's pay just everything off. So we got the cars, you know, done student loans. We got these home models, re, you know, renovations all paid off. I mean, it sucks for a season. It was terrible, but you know, we just went as hard as we could at this. And, you know, over the course of 26 months, we almost paid off, we paid off almost $73,000. And it took a lot of saying no to things. You know, we didn't do trips. We didn't go on vacations. We said no to some friends' weddings. Uh, but we knew that if we could build a good foundation, then we can achieve financial freedom and financial peace. So, um, you know, a lot of people are worried about the, you know, the, the sexier side of money, you know, investments and having real estate, and, you know, and getting, uh, you know, getting rich quick. But, you know, the truth is having a good foundation, it's like the least sexiest thing ever. Like if you just do things like, you know, budget every single month and, you know, if you got two grand coming in that month, three grand, four, whatever it is as a couple, you're sitting down every month and you're looking at it and you're going, all right, this is what our budget looks like this month. This is what we're going to tell our money to do. Mm -hmm. Instead of just going out there and living life and just swiping and being held unaccountable, like we're going to be intentional about this. And so, you know, we got 3000 bucks coming in this month. We're going to sell every single one of them dollars what to do. Mm. And budgeting just has such a negative connotation to it. Like, oh, you're living on a budget. You must be hurting. And it's the complete opposite. Like, you live on a budget, you, you'll be surprised at just how much freedom you actually have. Because those fights that you have as a, as a married couple, you spent how much at Target? You spent how much at Home Depot? Those go away because my wife and I have agreed, you know, every month you get 100 bucks, you spend whatever you want. I get a hundred bucks. I spend whatever I want. And so it's really great for spouses because you're in complete agreement with one another and mm -hmm. uh, can move forward together. So, but here's the question. If, if none of us are being taught anything about finances, budgeting, right. Is a part of managing your money. How can you effectively budget if you don't even have the basic fundamentals of finance and understanding that? It's not as hard as you think. I mean, we could work out a budget right now, Vic, and you could tell me pretty confidently what your mortgage payment is every month, how much your cell phone bill is. Um, you're not going to get it right on the first go rounds. I, I remember the first time my wife and I did a budget, I forgot to include groceries. Like, didn't even account for food. And so it takes a couple of months to kind of get used to it. Like, oh, yeah, like we got my mother-in-law's you know, birthday coming up, like we got to get her something, you know, and, and so there's definitely early on, you're going to have a lot of misses, but that's just because it's new to you. It's unfamiliar ground. You've never done it before, mm -hmm. but as you do it, it gets easier and easier. We, we have a budget meeting every month at the beginning of the month and it used to be painful starting you off. Your, but You and your wife have a budget meeting? Yep. Every month at the very beginning of the month. So, um, like literally sit down, like, you know, at, like you're at the office and say, Hey, time to, time to meet, time to go over the budget. Yeah. And it, it doesn't sound as terrible as I think 
we're making it sound, but uh, <laughs> we've gotten it down now to where it lasts maybe 10 minutes. Yeah. Because and we know what we spend on groceries every single month. We know yeah. what our car insurance is. We know how much gas money we need. You know, we, we know all the things pretty much because we've been doing it for so long. Now it's just like going through the calendar and looking at, hey, do we have anything coming up? Any birthdays, anniversaries, things like that? Let's throw them in there. Yeah, and the beauty of the Dave Ramsey plan, it's it's so predetermined that you know exactly everything, where it's going and where it's placed. So, you know, them, those months where it seems as though, well, we're meeting every month, it's kind of just lining up in place. So I have a question. With those plans, as, and as, as far as telling your money where to go, this is how much you get as play money. Is, is, is there a part of the plan that tells you where you should pay yourself first as far as you should dictate how much you plan on saving every month? Well, sure. Um, so do you know what the steps are, Shane? I are forgot. You- it's been, as I said, I, I did not have a good experience with it, but it might have just been the process more so than the program itself. Um, I okay. do remember the snowball. Mm-hmm. I do remember... Um, you know, basically the different envelopes and, and all that stuff. But, you know, without giving away the program, what, what are the steps? Because somebody may be interested, like if you were trying to convince somebody yeah, yeah. about it. Do you remember that the part of the, the program where you pay your podcast guests? hundred bucks to be on the show. Nah, I, I was sleeping during that lesson. I don't remember that envelope. I do not remember yeah, that I, I was sleeping during that part. <laughs> All right. So I'll explain to you real quick what it is. So the first step is save a thousand bucks. Just get you a little mini emergency fund, save a thousand bucks. Baby step two is pay off all of your debts except for your mortgage. So you got a mm-hmm. car payment, student loans, credit cards, pay them all off. Step three is save three to six months of your um, monthly expenses. So you add up, you know, how much food do you need? How much, uh, what's your rent or your mortgage? You know, line up the necessities and then multiply it by three or six months, whatever you feel more comfortable with. So maybe it's like eight grand, 10 grand, 15 grand, whatever it is that you or you and your spouse decide on. And then once that's done, you're done saving. So it's not a thing where you're saving in a savings account every month after that. And then step four is put 15% aside into retirement plans. So employer 401ks or IRAs. Step five is save towards the kid's college. Uh, Step six is pay extra towards the house, whatever you can. And then Step seven is to live and give like no one else because the point of being financially free and independent is to be able to not just hoard, you know, things that you want, but, you know, be a positive member in society that can help out the, the fatherless and, you know, the widows and, and the people that really need help. So, so that and I, as, as you were explaining, I just remember the two things that really rubbed me. Um, first, saving that first thousand dollars. Many people are living paycheck to paycheck. So how do you get there? Two, credit card debt is very e- is easier to snowball. But what if you have like an exorbitant amount of student loan debt? How does that play into snowballing and then you worry about paying off your mortgage? Because that, and that was one of the things about the program that really that that stuck with me that I was like, this is just kind of hard to manage. Because if you have, like myself, have a great deal of student loan debt like how do you really knock that off you know what i'm saying how do you eat an elephant shane i'm trying to eat the whole leg okay all right (laughs) (laughs) 
one bit by bit. One bite at a time. One bite at, at, at a time. David Ramsey needs to send you a check. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm telling you, man, it's it's like I said, a lot of people are worried about, you know, oh, I got, you know, a couple thousand bucks over here. I'm going to throw in the market. I'm going to invest it. But really, like, no, you should you should pay things off as quickly as you can. And I, and a lot of people have student loan debt. I think there's there's over a trillion dollars, I think, in student loan debt and another trillion dollars in, in car loan debt, I, I think, are the right numbers. Mm-hmm. It's crazy out there, and it's mm-hmm. nuts. And so a lot of people have, you know, 30, 40, 50, 80 grand in student loans. Some doctors have $250,000, $500,000 in student loans. And um, so it's so prudent and so important for people to get a grasp on this because your student loans aren't going anywhere. Yeah. Like they're, they're just not, you know, they're going to keep growing and growing and, and it's yeah. unfortunate, but here's the thing about student loans, Shane, is that it keeps going up. Like the cost of tuition keeps going up every single year. Do okay. you know why people will take out loans to do it? Yeah. And it's like, we don't think about these consequences when we're going through it. We're just like, Oh, it's not real money. You know, we just but- like put it, the back burner. It's not real, you know. Yeah, it, it goes back to what what you were saying. We're not really taught about money. Yeah, we're not we're not really taught about um money with that. So from what you were saying, I gather that you're not a big proponent of debt, and I, the program itself is not a big proponent of debt. So is there any kind of debt that you consider to be good debt outside of maybe a house? Yeah, there's there's never been a time I've paid a credit card and felt really happy about it. You know, there's never been a time I've paid a car payment and felt really good inside. Like all debt is bad debt. Like even even the mortgage, you know, we're still paying extra on it every single month, you know. So um we want to get the house paid off. I mean, think about your life right now and just what it would look like if you didn't owe anybody any money. Yeah. Like that's crazy. Yeah. Like you don't owe anybody. Imagine like waking up January 1st and you just send the utility company two grand for the year and you're just done paying Paying electric for the year. Yeah. Like there's just so many things. Like you want to talk about being able to build wealth, like get your foundation in order, like get these, get the student loans out, get the car loans done, you know, get all that just paid off and it's going to be a season that frankly is going to suck, but it's just a season. Seasons yeah. come and seasons go, man. And like we had to say no to things for a while, but I tell you what, life feels good on the other side. And when you got some savings set, like imagine just what people are go- like, this is tough times right now. People yeah. have been laid off. People are li- so many people are living paycheck to paycheck and so many people more than ever as a society, we've got the ability to just hide it take a good picture, throw a filter up on Instagram and look like we're doing good. But I'm telling you, like we are struggling as a, as a, as a country with our finances. So, so that's my question, right? We're, we're in a different time, you know, than, than what we've been in the past. We already had people living paycheck to paycheck, but with what COVID has done uh, to every industry worldwide, do you still give the same advice right now? People's situations has drastically changed. Is that still the same advice you give? hundred percent. I mean, why would you not want to take control of your money? Like if you've gone through this as we all have and you've been hurting and you, and you know, you've been laid off, you've been furloughed. I think you get it more than ever. You know, I wish I would have had control over my money, you know, 
a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. Like I wish that I had done what my grandma told me to do and save for a rainy day. And And this uh, is where the program comes into play. Cause imagine COVID hits in April and you had six months of all your bills put away. So you get that laid off April, May, June, July, August, September, October, you have you a cover where you at least know that your necessities are met. Um, until until October. until October when you and, know with things and it, in this season like there's a lot of people who have talked about how much just in general even if they're still employed they've saved because they're not commuting to work yeah so they've saved on gas they've saved on maintenance they've saved on even food and all those extra you know you're stopping at Dunkin or Starbucks to get coffee you're not doing that because you're not having that commute um so you're right that that man that makes a lot of sense you don't realize this stuff. Yeah. So after you, sorry, Casey, go ahead. I was just going to throw in there when a lot of people think about money, uh, the biggest thing that people overlook more in addition to not being intentional with their money is not factoring risk mm. in the equation. Like as you, if you have payments, you have risk, right? Yeah. So, if I got nothing to pay for, but I got a car loan, I got more risk. If I got student loans, I got more risk. I got, I got a mortgage, I got more risk. You know, 100% of the uh, foreclosures on homes occurred with homes that had a mortgage. Yeah. yeah. You know? Um, <laughs> so a lot of people don't think, you know, about decreasing the level of risk. A lot of people are just worried about, you know, getting, getting some – for example, I have um, – quite a few friends and, and they talk about, you know, having real estate as an investment, right? So they got their own property, but you know, they want to have rental properties too, right? So the idea being, you know, maybe they, they buy a home over here on the side and their mortgage payment on that is 1200 bucks, but they can find a renter for 1500, you know, so they're going to pocket 300 bucks, right? So why would I do that? I'll get 300 bucks extra every month, you know, and then I'll just, I'll put it back towards a mortgage even, you know, and I'll get it paid off sooner. Well, think they're not thinking about risk. And so let's say that something like my dear friend over here, coronavirus happens and now your tenant can't pay rent that month. Mm. You're still on the hook, not just for the mortgage that you have, but you're still on the hook for the, for this rental property. Mm. And you know, like people just don't think about decreasing their level of risk. And so when I sleep at night, when I, when I put my head down on the pillow, I just don't want to have those thoughts running around in my head. You know, I, I start to get gray hairs and I start looking like Vic, you know? <laughs> and, uh, hey, I'm bald. So you can't feel like me. So, It'd be um, an upgrade, by the way. <laughs> you, you spoke very well. And, and as I said, I'm serious. You've, you've made me look at my initial thought of the program differently. So we've talked about risk. We've talked about debt. We've talked about laying a foundation. So in the conversation of building wealth after your foundation is bad. And then you also spoke about, sorry, it just hit me that you were talking about in, in, in terms of uh, risk in terms of uh, owning property. So how do you build wealth once you have a foundation laid and once your risk is low and once your debt's low, how do you, how do you build wealth? Slowly but surely. There you go with this elephant again. 
<laughs> we're in such a generation, right? Where like we just want the instant gratification. Like I want to be able to buy something whenever I want. And yeah, I need know, that. Just, I needed to turn over, Casey. Yeah. I got I got kids who are who are adults, and the stuff that they ask for is expensive. Mm-hmm. Now they're adults, so key word, they should be getting it themselves. Mm, but as a parent, it. they're always gonna be my babies, right? Yeah. Yeah, so for sure. Slowly but surely, give me more practical advice. Can you give me an example about it? Sure, that? yeah. I mean, so let's just think about it. Like, if you've got everything paid off, you know, and you've got a savings set aside for a rainy day, a rainy season, or a rainy 2020, you know, then we can start building wealth by investing into retirement vehicles, right? So if your company offers a 401k, you know, that's such a huge, huge um advantage to you because a lot of times they'll match to whatever it is that you put in. So you put in 5% in there and your employer matches 5%, man, that's free money. So you do that all day long. Um, and you've got other vehicles too, like traditional IRAs or Roth IRAs. Roth IRA is always the, the way to go because you can put in a good chunk of money. You can put in six grand every year. And when you put it in Roth versus traditional Roth is, you know, you've already paid taxes on it. So you just got money growing tax free off to the side and um, not to, you know, go down a rabbit hole of just the financial jargon, but you just got so many opportunities now that you've got everything paid off to start putting your money in the market and to start having money actually work for you. Right. Because when you owe somebody, you're paying them interest, but when you own something, you know, stocks, mutual funds, you earn interest, you know, you get a high interest, Right, whatever the market's doing, it's not doing too great this year, but it's starting to even out. And just over time, the stock market just—it's always going up. It's like a little high and a little low, and then low and then high again. And um, but so if that's that—that's a great way to to start building wealth. If you're into real estate and you want to do that, that's cool too. We would just say buy properties with cash. Well, Casey, that's mm. going to take like five years, ten years to come up with that kind of money. Yeah, like the first one's going to be the hardest. Right. Yeah. Because you're, you know, it's the one that's going to just take, take the longest time. But here's the thing is that going back to owning real estate, you know, people think that the, you know, the rental income that you get is why you get rental properties. And that's not the case. Like you want to buy rental properties so that the value of the property goes up mm-hmm. and any rental income is just the cherry and whipped cream on top. So, so the, the goal is mm-hmm. in the appraisal, you're by you should be eyeing property in its likelihood or i guess um the lower risk that it the property value would decrease because if it appraises for much higher than what you bought it for when you do sell it that's what your profit is going to be from exactly so like if you're looking for a you know if you got a hundred thousand dollars to get your house that's not going to get us a whole lot of house these days but you know let's just say you got a really nice condo or something you know, the hope is that you own it for a while and it starts to be worth, you know, 110, 115, 120,000. Mm. And if you've got, you know, rental income, great. That's just cherry on top. But I don't want, you know, my rental properties to, um, to have that stress always lingering over my head. I really need the tenants to, you know, pay the, uh, pay the rent right. every month. You know, I don't want that. If they, if I'm, if I'm without a tenant for a few months or a year, it doesn't bother me because it's still paid for. And it's still growing in value. Um, so, are, yeah. you, are you advising people right now to invest in the market? 
Always. Always. Hmm. Always. And a good, uh, someone once told me, and it's always stuck, it's not timing the market, it's time in the market. Mm. And if, if we could all time the market, you know, we'd have a lot more billionaires right now. But you don't know, like you just, you don't, you don't know when it's going to crash and when it's going to go up. But the longer that you're in it, the more you've got money working and working for you and the opportunity to grow. So there's always going to be dips. Um, but times like this year and back in 2008, 2009, you know, when it went, uh, you know, negative 30, 35, 40%, um, you know, that's, that's not fun. But guess what? If you've got a lot of cash sitting off to the side, whoo, that's a sale right there. Mm -hmm. So you're, you get in the market when it's that low, it's coming back. You can throw it, you know, a dart at the board and whatever it is that you buy is just going to bounce right back. So, um, but again, like, you can only have cash off to the side if you're not giving your cash to other people names, you know, bank of America, you know, you know, Wells Fargo, like people that you, you got credit cards with Carlos. Sally May. Sally May. Exactly. There's one ugly lady. <laughs> <laughs> if you see her, if you know her, tell her we looking for her. <laughs> you know, Casey, I've had I've had the pleasure of talking with you, you know, about organizing, you know, my family's finances and uh, a lot of the advice that you've given has definitely helped. Uh when you sat down with with me and Tasha, um, you know, one of the things that you talked about uh, if, and correct me if I'm wrong, was possibly not putting money into your 401k for a couple of years to then take that extra money and devote it to paying off debt. Mm. Yeah. Can you touch on that and your, your philosophy behind that idea? I know. So a lot of people just like clenched a little bit. Ugh, that doesn't sound right. Well, like, let's be real. We're probably putting in what two, three, four, five percent into our 401k, and so great, we're doing something, but it's really not much. So the idea is for a season, just for a season, when we're working on on paying everything off, you want as much money coming in that you can possibly have. That way, you can throw it at the debt. You know, so if you're putting 100 bucks, 200 bucks in every paycheck or every month in your 401k, it's gonna feel very like fundamentally wrong to not be investing for your retirement, but you're going to put that off and, and just for a season pay off the debt. But let's think about it. Once you get everything done and once you got a little savings account set up, well, now you can afford to put some big boy money into your 401k, you know, your IRAs, like 15, 20%. You get a house paid off and now you can put 30, 35, 40, 50% of your income into retirement vehicles. You know how quickly you're going to build wealth so fast but if you're just going to live normal for the rest of your life and keep making minimum car payments minimum student loan payments like you're never going to get ahead and you're never going to be able to afford to be able to put in 15 20 25 30 percent into your future so so basically what you're saying and, and i i've known this but you're drilling it home for me the key to wealth is eliminating debt yeah uh eliminating debt getting yourself a good like the quicker that you can get to not owing anybody any money, mm -hmm. then you can start putting money into in, back in your hands and, back in your hands. and into your future, you know? But you know gotcha. what, I, I, what I'm getting from this too? Yes, eliminate debt, but also be willing to try some probably unorthodox methods to you right now 
but knowing that those methods aren't working now because we're still on the hamster wheel. We're still living, you know, uh, uh, robbing Peter to pay Paul right now. So it's like the, the habits that we have now in managing our money, we become comfortable with, but they're the wrong habits to have. That's what I, I'm getting from, you know, talking with you. Every time I talk with you, you know, a little bit more of this gets revealed to me. So there's a, a guy named James Clear, and he's got this great book called Atomic Habits. And he's got a great quote that says, we don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. Mm. Mm. And so we all want to, you know, have wealth. We all want to, you know, provide for our family and for our future. You know, Bible says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Mm. And, um, so we all have, and this kind of goes back to what blew your mind, Shane, is that we've all got great goals. I don't think you'll come across people that don't have good, maybe some people won't have great goals. I was going to say, I, I for the most part, I think like this crew, like this circle that, that we have in the audience that we're going after are people that are, are very goal oriented. They want to achieve, they want to be successful, but it's the systems that you put in place that help you achieve it. Right. So um, it's called the aggregation of marginal gains, like being just a little bit better with your money, being a little bit more intentional, creating a budget, paying things off. Like it's not going to happen overnight, but over time, those habits start to develop and, and you're not even going to care about paying off debt. Like when Chris and I, when my wife and I were working on this, it was a big deal starting off, like paying things off. It was like, gosh, this sucks. Can't go out. Can't buy things you know, can't do this, can't do that, can't go there. This sucks. And then about month number six, we were like, just scrambling around the house looking for things to sell. We're like, we just got to get out of this. Like, this is like, we had garage sales two or three times a year and your boy was hustling out there. Like we found so much stuff around the house and I had Chris and my wife price everything out. And she put like 50 cents, a dollar, you know, on things here and there. I mean, I'm like, uh-uh, throw five bucks, throw 10 bucks on there. We're going to hustle. We got debt to pay. And we Give just- Give me that used fork. <laughs> Two dollars. We got so fed up with just owing people money. We just wanted to get this crap over with. Like, just get it done. And um, I feel like I'm kind of going off on a tangent No, here. no, no. You good, brother. You got excited with that hustle. I was, I was sucking it in, man. You good, man. Yeah. Like, and what we learned through this process too, it, it wasn't just the act of paying things off. Our behaviors changed, you know, who we are, who, who we were really changed. Right. So like we used to complain about not being able to buy stuff. Like I couldn't go to Dick's Sporting Goods and just, you know, buy athletic gear, shorts, shoes or whatever. And uh, same for my wife and her and, and the target runs. But um, when we were going through this, we just learned a whole lot about being complacent and just being thankful and grateful for the things that we have. You know, people are always going to have better things than you and people are always going to have things not as great as you and people are always going to make more money. People always make less money yeah. and yeah. people always be, Hey, you people always be behind you. And so if we can just focus on us, not compare ourselves to anybody else, and really get through this. I think we're going to have something great on the other side of it. And throughout this whole process, you know what else happened, Vic? We started to really care about our jobs. We really cared about the way that we treated the people around us, our coworkers. 
our managers, our bosses, and not that we were being fake or anything, but we realized that, you know what, my boss has, has a potential to increase my pay. (laughs) (laughs) What can I do for my boss to make them happier so that I can get paid more so that I can get through with paying everything off? And um, man, we, we learned a whole lot about having emotional intelligence in the workplace, you know, and, and just being um, irreplaceable at work. And, um, and then of course, you know, all of this goes to just being, uh, you know, we're Christians and we, we love our heavenly father and we know that he's looking out for us, you know, and, and we, we're trying to do the right thing. And I, and I think God honors that when you're doing things that are, you know, above yourself. So, you know, we want to do well with this because we want our family to do great, but we also want to be known for just amazing uh, gifting, like just helping people out when we can. And um, because at the end of the day, I think your legacy is just such a big deal. And, you know, when it comes time for the Lord to take me away, I, I want thousands of people to show up at my funeral because They'll all have us. That's my hope, right? Like that when, when my funeral comes, they come up and they, they share stories and they say, man, Casey, you know, he did this for, for me one year, like I was struggling and, you know, uh, bought me a car, you know, and got me through a tough time or, you know, paid my light bill one month and, yeah. oh man, they, you know, the crafts did this, like, that's what really matters, right? Mm-hmm. Like we don't, we don't do this just so that we can get rich and, and buy all the stuff we want. Like we do it because, you know, we should all strive to be good stewards of our money and to, to be better for our family and our family's future and our community and um, just anybody else out there that we can help. I think that's what we're all called to do, especially as real men, you know, like we're supposed yeah. to actually care about our counterparts and our neighbors. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I got a question. Your, as your systems change, as your habits change, as your attitude change, did you notice that your circle of friends changed? And I asked that question because oftentimes when we change, right, you start to look at money different. Um, you observe other people's habits that you might not have noticed before. So did your circle of friends change as your systems and habits change? I think we've done a pretty good job of picking out good quality friends. So I don't, I don't think that our friendship circle really changed. A lot of people thought we were nuts. You know, like you guys are doing what? Like, why? That's stupid. You know, just just get a better car, get a better house. You know, YOLO. You know, like, mm-hmm. why are y'all doing that? And uh, we didn't have too many people like that. We had a few. Um, there's always going to be haters out there when you try to step out and do something great. So you learn to brush off pretty quickly. It, it goes back to that level of understanding, though. You know, like the idea of. I would rather go buy a car cash for $5,000 than to put down $1,000 for that new 30,000 thing. And now I have $500 a month payment. It, 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 it's not as, it doesn't make sense. It's not practical. We're not taught for that to be practical, you know? Um, just like I, I've been, I've begin, I began to think about even the debt of a house. Like you said it at the beginning and you said, uh, you know, you get married, you get the house. And, and and that's how we're bred. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but we were never taught to challenge that thought. Like it's yeah. in real life, this is this is a debt. 
Absolutely. You know, I mean, it, you, some may consider it good debt, which, you know, we do. But at the same time, you know, it, it, it is what it is. And, and that, that stress of mortgage um, breakdowns or whatever, it, it, it sits there. But, you know, it, it just goes back to what we were taught and told. Mm-hmm. You know, another thing that as you talk about getting married and, and a lot of people don't consider it a debt, but my wife and I talked about it is the ceremony of marriage. How much money are people spending on a ceremony that is going to end up leaving them with debt yeah. all to do what show yeah. out for, for, for some people, yep. uh, which probably 80% of them you don't even talk to on a regular basis. Yep. Like, yep how we look at our money, our resources, what is actually considered debt, the habits that we have, like part of this, I want our audience and and people to understand is purpose is about challenging what you have always believed and what you've always been told. That's a part of discovering your purpose. You have to ask those tough questions like, does this actually make sense? And if you sit down and you think through it, especially when it comes to money and finances, you'll start to identify and pinpoint, you know what? This isn't necessary. It's a want to. It's not a have to. It's not a need. We spend money with money we don't have on things we can't afford to impress people we don't really even like. Come on, give me that one again. Give me that one again. We spend money that we don't have on things we don't really need to impress people that we don't really even like. Yeah. Facts. Like, yeah. I, and I'm the same, Shane. Like, I, I just, I've never been a car guy, you know? So rolling around a, you know, $30,000, $40,000 car has just never been, I, I, I just don't care about car. I'm not a car guy. A lot of people are car guys and that's, that's cool. But mm-hmm. man, I've got a 2011 Jeep Grand Cherokee and it's, it's fine. You know, it's, probably worth, I don't know, 10, 12 grand. But before that, you know, I was strutting around in a 1995 Jeep Grand Cherokee that had like 160,000 miles. I had that thing for like four or five years. Yeah. My first three or four years at my job, I drove a 1986 Chevy Nova. This is 2008. And the Mm. beauty of it was like my grandmother gave me the car. And when I got the car in 2008, the car had 46,000 miles on it. Wow. And it was a 1986 Chevy Nova. We used to call it the Blue Nasty. It was <laughs> loud. And, but that thing rolled. I had no payment. I was in Atlanta every weekend in the Blue Nasty, man. <laughs> Telling hey, but, you, man. But, Casey, one, you shared one time about cars and their depreciation and, and why Jeep Grand Cherokee and, you know, these different vehicles who hold their appreciation. I think that's important to share, too, if you don't mind. Yeah, and, and a big reason why I'm not a, a big car guy is for that fact, right? Every single car goes down in value. They all depreciate. And so if I'm trying to get my net worth up, and that, that should be something that maybe we could we could touch on, because that's what really matters. Like, not your credit score. That don't mean a thing. It's your net worth that really matters. And cars go down in value. So if it's going down in value, and I'm trying to go the other way, why would I want to buy an expensive car that's just going to go down like a rock? Um, but yeah, there, there are certain cars out there and you can look them up on, you know, auto trader or Kelly blue book. They always do reviews every years of, of cars that will hold their value better than others. 
And I don't think the Grand the Jeep Grand Cherokee has ever been on the list, but the Wrangler has, and the That's Toyota Forerunner, and uh, the Toyota Tacoma um, have predominantly been on those lists. It might be the Tundra, the Tacoma, but yeah, those three are like always year after year um, best resale value is what they call them because they just mm. don't depreciate as much. As, they still go down, just not as not much as, as much. Not so, as much as Blue Nasty. <laughs> Actually, that thing held its value. So never oh, mind. man, that thing held its value. I mean, it was, it was um, you know, it had some rust, but just, you know, it's still, I got it. By three or four years, I was up to about 120,000 miles. Man, let's, let's roll. We good. Um, so let's talk about this net worth. Yeah, man. How do you, how do you, how does one increase their net worth or why is that even important to focus on? Cause you hear people always chattering about uh, Bill Gates's net worth and Oprah's net worth and this billionaire yeah. and that millionaire. Yeah. So first off we have to know what we're talking about, right? So what does net worth mean? And this could be homework assignments for everybody. So your net worth is figuring out what you own minus what you owe and whatever that number is that is your net worth so let's just play it out you've got a home that is worth two hundred thousand dollars but you owe one hundred fifty thousand left on it so you would have fifty thousand dollars net worth right so you just do that same math with your car you know what do you have in your checking account your savings account what do you have in your retirement accounts you know if you got like collectibles or you know gold jewelry what's all that up to so you're taking everything that you own and subtracting what you owe and that will give you your net worth you know so it's got nothing to do with your salary it's got nothing to do with how much you make a year it's just strictly what do i own and what do i owe what's the difference between the two and hopefully you've got a black number you've got a number that's not red but if you got red numbers, that's okay. Like just, we can figure out how to get you out of it and get you on a budget, get you on a plan to, uh, to get you in the, in the positive again. But so your net worth is really what matters. And, and credit score is such a crock. Like people worry about their credit score so much. I could give, you guys could have an aunt that you don't know about that dies and gives you a million bucks and your credit score doesn't change a lick. Mm. Yeah. And people think your credit score is a thing that you got to worry about more than anything when it comes to money and finance. When is the only time you need to worry about a credit score? Never. Why? You tell me why you don't. Because that cab money speak, man. If, if uh, I walk in a real realtor and I got a, <laughs> I got a 22 for a credit score, but I got a million dollars, you don't think I'm going to get that house for 350 Good point. Good point. <laughs> Good point. Now that folks, all right, let me back up now. That don't mean go out and get you a credit card and run it up, but it's just perspective. That I mean, I've never heard anybody put it that way before. Whereas the net worth is what's important because I, I when you said it, I started looking around and like, well, I got a heat press and a electronic <laughs> drum <laughs> drum set. How much can I sell? How much can I Casey, sell? Where's, where's your next yard sale? <laughs> Let me see how much we can push this heat press for. Oh, goodness. So how much do uh, assets play into the role of net worth? Like you got something that can make you money. 
Like what? Um, I mean, for instance, you buy um, studio equipment because you create music. So that is an asset in a sense because it generates revenue, right? Yeah, if you own it and it's, yeah. and it's making you money. It's only you're adding up things that you know the exact value of what they're worth, what you could sell it for right now if you had to sell it. If I had to sell it, yeah. If you had to sell it. Gotcha. Are there any tools or resources to help a person like determine the value of things like that if they had to sell it right now? You know, you know how like with a car, you can look at Kelly Blue Book and see, put in some specs. Are there tools like that for people to use to look at their life and go, all right, I'm not talking like you got this plant and you're trying to figure out how much this plant will be worth, but some actual assets. Sure. I mean, you know, I think the only ones that kind of really matter, you know, are, are probably going to be your home. If you're, if you're a homeowner, your cars and um, whatever cash that you have in your checking or savings or whatever you have in retirement, you know, it's, you know, you don't got to go around and say, you know, what's my TV worth? Like if you're, if you're really trying to get granular about what your the exact all your net worth is, like maybe just try to be within, I don't know, a thousand bucks here or there. Um, but yeah, you can look up, you know, what your home is probably worth just going by, you yeah. know, I know Zillow's not, you know, the end all be all for what an evaluation of a home is, uh, is going to be at, but it's at least a starting point. And the same thing with a car, you can go to, you know, kellybluebook.com, put your mileage in the year, make and model, see what that's worth. Um, so those are the kind of bigger ones. I mean, if you got, you know, guitars or studio equipment or whatever, I guess you could always go on eBay and just try to find something that recently sold that same make and model, maybe. But um, yeah, does that help? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah I, I was just thinking in terms of, um, um, I recently read uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Robert Kiyosaki, yeah. Yeah, um, so in my brain, I'm trying to one, lay off the fast food because um, that's what's putting me in debt, really just the amount that I spend on fast food as it does most of us. But then also looking at how and what I spend my money on and really focus on like looking at the value that it adds to my life when I'm purchasing it. Like, um, you know... Um, yeah, so that, that, that's really where I was going with that when I asked, that was all. I want to change directions and focus on you. Uh, you gave, you gave a lot of advice, um, to us and the audience about how to build wealth and gave some, you know, practical things people can do, uh, in pursuing this career path for you. Why was this a passion? Why did you choose this, this direction? Well, I'm glad you said passion because Boy, that was one thing I was struggling with for a long time when it came to my career is I just was never in a field or a, an industry that I was passionate about. And, uh, you know, Bishop T.D. Jakes has a good quote about that. If you can't figure out what your purpose is, figure out what your passion is. Because mm. um, once you become passionate about something, there, there's, your, there's your purpose. So, you know, this is a classic case. Like with the home, you know, when we had the uh, – the back room happened. This was just a classic case of, you know, what the enemy meant for evil. God turned around and, and turned it into good. It was during that experience of, you know, paying things off and figuring out how money works that I realized, oh, this is what I want to do. This is this is a big deal. Like I can get excited about this. I can help people actually get control over their money because, 
it's such a big deal. And I feel like it's so overlooked in our society. But if you can completely change around someone's financial future and the, you know their foundations, you've just changed not only them, you've changed their family and their family's children and their children's yeah. children. Like you have changed generations Ration, by yeah. putting somebody on the right path. And how could somebody not get passionate about that? You know? And mm. I mean, if we had more people take control over their money and, you know, could pay things off, like, wouldn't it be great when you guys become granddads to be in such a good position financially that you can just pay for your kids first, your grandchildren's first home. Like how cool would that be? Your daughter comes home, Vic found, found the man that he wants to marry. They get married, they've got kids. And then over time you just built up such a huge nest egg that you can just drop two or 300 grand and give your grandchildren houses. Like how cool would that be? And then your grandchildren don't have to worry about that mortgage payment and they can just invest all of the money that they've got from their jobs and create even more wealth. Listen. Like literally entire generations can be changed just from one person deciding it ends here. I'm going to be the one that makes the change. Listen, right now me and my wife have been on, on this topic talking about, you know, our parents, didn't necessarily teach us how to manage our money, but because we know better, we have to do better. And we are going to change what our kids are taught about managing their money. We are going to, I've seen posts where someone said, I went to buy a house and they asked me for the down payment and the, the realtor or whomever they were going to buy the house from said, you know, it's common for, you know, parents to gift the down payment, right? $20,000. And in this, in this particular group, it was on Facebook. They're like in the black community, that's not something that's common. Like that was unheard of to, to think that I could go to my parents or family and say, Hey, would you mind gifting this to me? That wasn't, that wasn't passed down mm -hmm. in, in my community. Guess what more, what, guess what is more common though than that? What is parents giving that money for that wedding? Yeah. Yeah, and we got so, it. We got it upside down. We do, and and things have got to change. They've got to change. You know, I don't know if you can answer this question, Casey, but I I wanted to ask this. Right within the black community, there's conversation about all the different uh, races and their communities and how their dollar revolves within their community before it leaves. And there's all kinds of numbers out there, and with in the black community talks about the dollar balls in the community per day, I think is what, what the number is. Correct me if I'm wrong, Shane. It don't uh, bounce at all. It leaves as soon as we get it. It leaves as soon as we get it. As a community, not just the black community, but any community, what infrastructure needs to be in place to allow the community dollars to stay within the community? I don't know if you can talk on that or if you have a thought or opinion, but I wanted to throw it out. There's a, another good book out there called Thou Shall Prosper by a Jewish rabbi. His name's Rabbi Daniel Lapin. And he talks about why Jewish people tend to prosper. And it's, it's exactly why, what, what it is that you're talking about. So in the Jewish community, everybody is involved in each other's lives. So the money is constantly staying in the same circle. And so, you know, 
if you, if you're Vic, if you're the the doctor of the community, well, the Jewish community goes to Vic. They don't go to an outsider. Um, Shane, if you are the butcher and people need their meat, they're going to go to Shane the butcher. Mm. And you being the butcher get sick one day, you're going to go to Vic. And you know, I'm over here and I'm the um, accountant or whatever, and you need your tax returns done, you go to me. And so the money is staying within, within the community. Mm. And um, so it's a really, really interesting book and in, in how Jewish people over time have just tended to prosper more than, more than other groups. But um, more than that, there's just such a huge need for financial literacy. Mm-hmm. People learning how to how to keep money, the value of of keeping it intact, and not spending it on things that literally, you know, mean nothing. You know, for example, um, I had a a guy that I knew, and he said we were talking about, you know, throwing away money, and he said I was at the bar one night and. I was drinking some beers and I went to the bathroom and I realized I am literally pissing money away. (laughs) Literally. Literally. And uh, like, was that, was that buzz, you know, that, that little night out, was it worth uh, the 20 bucks? You know, you do that a couple times a week. That looks like 40 to 60 bucks. You do that a month. It looks like a couple hundred bucks. You do it over a year. That looks like a couple thousand bucks a year. Like, is that a thou- couple thousand bucks a year worth it, like, in the end? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about money that could be invested in over time, you know, could make you a lot of money, so. Yeah. As a parent, I find it, as a parent of young adults, you know, and my kids are college age, uh, I find it even more imperative that I become financially literate because they are at a pivotal time when they can either make some really smart decisions with their money that will impact generations to come, or they can make some dumb decisions just like I made and we'd be in the same boat. And that, that's why for me right now, becoming financially literate, uh, uh, creating financial freedom, not just for myself, but for my family so that we can go out and we can help our community. There's so many people that I feel connected to, that I also feel responsible for, that I can help if I educate myself. Because I know I'll, I'll know what to look for. You just crystallized it though. What's that? There's no way, like with the example that Casey just gave, he gave examples of how that money bounced three times. But the key, it goes back to what we've been talking about, is that literacy with you. Because now you have the literacy and you're building yours. Now you can go out and build and help build somebody else's. And, and I kind of that's kind of like now I, I'm how I'm internalizing it is um, the first step to building that community where that money bounces three, four, five times starts with individual financial training and financial literacy. Yeah. 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 Wow. This is good. So Here's Casey, a, oh, go ahead. Three people that uh influence you or motivate you. Uh yeah, number one would be my dad for sure. He's always been my biggest supporter and um the biggest believer in me. And so I I definitely would not be 
where I'm at, heading up in for my dad. He always said something, don't ever bet against Casey. And he just, he would say that to me over and over again as a kid. And so I just had tremendous confidence in myself growing up that, you know what, I can do anything and I might fail at it. And trust me, I have failed over and over again. The certifications that I had to get to become a, an advisor, I failed collectively six or seven times, I think, between three different certifications. I can fail. I'm really good at failing. <laughs> uh, but my dad would always speak it over me, like, don't bet against Casey. Don't bet against Casey. He'll come through. And That's so awesome. it just instilled this, this confidence that I don't think can come anywhere from anywhere else except your, your dad. So he gets the most credit. Um, second will be my mom. And um, she's just a great lady. And my parents are awesome. And then those probably aren't the answers you're looking for. Those are the nah, mushy, mushy answers. These are the answers. And I need to make sure that they listen to this podcast too. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm uh those are probably the two biggest ones. So, okay. You, you, you've talked a lot about not occurring debt. Is there something that you want? Like a big purchase. If you could have like a big purchase, like what is something that you want? Yeah. So I would say a, a bigger house. A bigger house. Um, and really just for the fact that my wife wants it. <laughs> just kidding. Happy uh, wife, happy life. Yeah. No, we're, uh, uh-huh. we're wanting to expand our family. It's just she and I right now. So we would love to have a bigger home to fill with some children. And then just to have people over, we're, we really like having people over and having, you know, people over for dinner and game nights. And, you know, through our church, we host a lot of small groups. So we actually teach that course, Financial Peace University. We've taught it five times now through our church and love doing it. So we love having people over and, you know, making them cookies and stuff before the class starts and, and hanging out and having a good time. So yeah, that's, that's exactly how I got put onto a, uh, the course. We took it through a small group. Yeah. Our church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not above a shameless plug. If people wanted to book you to have you come, you know, teach this course, uh, whether virtually or, or in person when, you know, we're able to do things like that, how could they find Casey? This upcoming September or October, we'll be leading the course again through our church. And so we go to Radiant Church in Tampa. And so the website is weareradiant.com. And then you can go over into the small group section and then just sign up for our class. You'll see us on there and uh, yeah, we'd love to connect with whoever wants to do the class. You know, we're for everybody, young, old, doesn't matter. We just want to help people. Um, yeah. Um, it's, just, it's just deciding to just live an, an, an odd life, an unnormal life. Like being normal is broke. Being normal is not having money. Being normal is not creating wealth. Being normal is having car payments. Being normal is making minimum payments. Being normal is just, it's what everybody is doing and nobody's getting ahead. And so being weird, being different, paying things off. Like if you had, if you had a car note, you know, 400 bucks every month and, and you had one from you were 20 years old to 70 years old, right? So that's 50 years of having car notes at 400 bucks a month. If you had invested that and got back an 8% average return, you'd have $2.7 million. But a lot of people love having the car. You know, they want that new car every few years. 
and they can afford the payment, right? As long as I can afford the payment, then I can afford to have it. That that's that that that's the that's the, that's the mentality right there. That's gotta change. Ooh. That's where it, as long as I can afford it. And see, that's how I grew up. All so that's us. why I spend forty seven dollars a day on fast food. As long as I can I can see, you know, like you really didn't even got it. You can just imagine that it's there and you can mm-hmm. that's it right there. Wow. If you can't pay cash for it, you can't afford it. If you can't pay cash, you can't afford it. Mm. If you can't pay cash. I've been taking notes, Casey. You preaching to the choir today, my brother. I'm telling you, people aren't going to like this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. He said, what? It's it's, it's very, uh, man, if that doesn't kick you where it hurts, you know. Right. You don't want to hear that, though. People don't want to hear that. People want to know, Casey, you don't understand. My income is high enough to where I can afford this payment, and I can get that boat because the payment's not that. I'm making $10,000 more this year, Casey. I got a raise. You don't understand. I can afford the payment. No, you can't. Unless you can pay cash for it, you can't afford it. Mm. Man, people don't like to hear that. Mm. All right. <laughs> Smack. Right, because you, you immediately start thinking about your own life. Yeah. Right? You just been going along yeah. and everything's been cool. Yeah. I mean, even with the like even with the you know, we were talking about these stocks the other day. I was like, why wasn't I doing this at 20? And why you know, um, Gosh, there's so just so many ne- necessary evils: student loans, this car, that car. I mean, you know, you could, um, you can go down that rabbit hole. But the point is, don't feel guilty about it. Is if you, you no. start fixing it, you you start yeah, for sure. Yeah, What's, that's and, and many of us didn't know this. A lot of yeah. us don't know. That's just flat out. That's so, normal. I mean, yeah. we, you know, we didn't know this either. It it took us. Uh, you know, being at a desperate point in our lives where we're just like, something has got to change. Like, yeah. this is, this is crazy that, you know, we make, we make decent money and that we only have like a hundred bucks left every month. Something yeah. has got to change. And that's all it takes. It's just, it, it just takes deciding. Yeah. It just takes, you know what, from now on, I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm going to put my big boy pants on my big girl pants on. And I'm going to do a budget and I'm going to tell every single dollar where to go. And so a little plug, every dollar is the name of a budgeting app. And it's amazing. It's made by Dave's team. Um, and it's just choose, like just deciding, right? It's like, it's like losing weight. You just got to decide to do it. You got to say, no, I'm not going to eat $47 of fast food every day. I'm going to eat chicken breast and some potatoes and some Brussels sprouts. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to eat right. I'm going to do cardio. I'm going to jump on the bike. I'm going to run outside. You know, I will do what is necessary in order to get, a, you know, healthier and a better body. It's the same. You just choose. You just decide. Yeah. And that's such like a, a great thing. You know, having the ability to just say no more. I'm just going to decide to do it. And so we can blame our past. We can blame our parents. We can blame our surroundings. We can blame our situation. But when you realize that you are the one that can also fix everything, that's so cool. Like you can go into work tomorrow and just be a better employee. 
You can yeah. work harder. You can show up early. You can work harder and you can leave later and you can get promoted and you can make more money and you can, uh, you know, be someone that they just want to give more responsibilities to and more money to. And you can use that money and pay things off and just create a better future for your family. Like you can, you can just decide. That's the coolest thing about this. You can just choose. Yeah. That's awesome. Let's, let's end on that note. We always go out with a quote, Casey, and I'm, I heard this one yesterday listening to T.I.'s podcast expeditiously. He had a, he had a, I guess, real estate mogul, financial guru. Uh, his name is John Hope Bryant, and he was dropping gems. And one of the gems he said stood out to me, and I thought it was fitting for this episode. He said, even when you want to distribute money like a socialist, you have to collect it like a capitalist. Even when you want to distribute money like a socialist, you have to collect it like a capitalist. How does that resonate with you? Mm, I have to think about that one. It's interesting. Here's, I'll give you where, how it, how it hit me. It, my understanding of a socialist wants to distribute money to everyone. They want to share it so that everybody has an opportunity. Right? Equally. Equally. Equally to eat. But you got to collect it. You got to get it in like a capitalist. And a capitalist, right, is hungry. They're greedy for it. They are grinding hard to get that in. Now, despite people's views about capitalism, I understand that mentality that's associated with a capitalist who's trying to get income and create wealth for themselves with the intention of distributing it like a socialist. That's how it hit me. I think for me, it just makes me proud to be an American. You know, we have such an, an amazing country that we live in and the fact that we can go out and we can make money and we can get a job somewhere and we can bust it and we can create our own business, especially this day and age where we can promote ourselves on, you know, our businesses on Instagram and Facebook and everything. Like we have such more more opportunity to create wealth and to just hustle and go after what we want more than more than any other country it's and i know there's a lot of crap going on but man it's important for us to not forget just how great america is this is an amazing country we've got so much opportunity and there's plenty of money out there to be earned and plenty of plenty of dollar bills to be made yeah well, Casey, I'm not going. We are not going to take up any more of your time. We actually Casey, phenomenal, you brother. We yeah. appreciate you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This was fun. Once again, another great episode, Casey. It's been amazing having you on the show. Thank you. You dropped a lot of gems, a lot of bombs. Uh, more than anything, uh, for our audience, I hope we go out and live life on purpose. And, and getting financially free is one way you can live life on purpose. Uh, if you haven't already, go like, subscribe, share the show, um, tell three friends about it, uh, and, and just go be great, baby. Have a good one. We appreciate you. I'm running full speed.